0: Michael kissed. You caught me not listening again. Benjamin Solak.
1: You never listen.
0: It's the Kist and Solak show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak show. This is episode 97, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. As always. Joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Oh, is it nine years now? Did I did I forget? Oh, no!
1: I smiled a little bit. I smiled just a little bit. I was like, I wonder <laughs> if he's going to remember. And you didn't. And I was very happy that you didn't because I was going to make fun of you.
0: Nine years without a bad day. Thanks for remembering, man.
1: Our anniversary. No problem.
0: He is Benjamin Solak. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. How you doing, brother? Is it the 31st? Is that the day?
1: Yeah, it's the last day of May. Oh,
0: nailing it. How you doing, brother?
1: Yeah. Oh, man. Always well, never otherwise. Life is a dream. We're recording this on Tuesday. I have class on Tuesday. I have class and a final on Wednesday. I have a final on Thursday. And then nobody can ever again tell me to do a thing <laughs> in the history of always.
0: All that free I'm time. so happy. We're going to get so much yeah. podcasting And
1: it's done. so funny because people are like, how do you feel about graduating? And I'm like, well... I'll be honest with you. I have a lot of work to do. It's the off season. You know what I mean? Like I d- I'm not even like mentally, I haven't mentally been there for a yeah. while. So it's just, it's very nice to finally be able to like see that aspect of my calendar and see those tasks go off my task list and and, and move yeah. and be done with school.
0: It's great. We're going to have so much right. time. What'd you
1: get me for graduation? Anything for good?
0: Activities. No, I, well, um, no, not yet. It's on the way. It should arrive at the the same time as my housewarming gift arrives.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we're waiting on that. Uh, Look, we got some Eagles news to get to. Let's talk about what the main topic of the show is going to be. This is the first installment of the Eye on the Enemy series. Me and Ben do this every year now. And what we're going to do is take a look at each team within the division. They're each going to get their own show. And then we're going to take a look outside of the division and look at the serious contenders that we think could make a run at the Super Bowl this year, along with the Philadelphia Eagles, of course, but we'll be focusing on other teams. We'll be talking about Eagles news along the way as it pops up, as we're about to do. But today, first, we're going to talk about the New York Giants. So that's going to be a focus Of the show. Before we get to that quickly, some quick Eagles news to follow up on something that me and BLG did not get to yesterday on BGN Radio episode 57, which was recapping OTAs. The Eagles are bringing in former Jacksonville Jaguars and Tennessee Titans safety. Jonathan Cyprian into the building to work him out. Series at possibly sign him to a deal. We don't know yet at the time of this recording if he has signed. I've been very clear about my thoughts on Cyprian in the past. Former Jaguars Titan safety when he went down last year for the Titans and they signed Kenny Vicaro. I remember telling, because I go on Tennessee radio a, a good deal, I remember telling the people there, uh, you guys actually got an upgrade, because I, I had studied a good deal of both of those players, so I'm not the biggest Cyprian guy, I don't think it impacts anything, if he signs, I mean, is it really that big of a difference between him and Anderson Dejo, we don't know what his health is like, Ben, uh, I'm I'm pretty meh on the possibilities of Cyprian signing here. Maybe he does while we're recording and while we're editing. But what are your thoughts on the matter?
1: So Cyprian Cyprian went down with injury. I thought he was like supposed to be super healthy. I was re- when I was reading about him coming in. Somebody today had a whole like Cyprian has never missed a game or something like that. But
0: yo, he went down with an uh, with an ACL last year.
1: All right. And so yeah, that was that was, uh, was something I read. So you can never trust things you read on the internet unless I wrote them or maybe Mike. This is not about Malcolm Jenkins. It's not even a little bit about Malcolm Jenkins. I'd say maybe it's correlated to Malcolm Jenkins, but there's no, like, well, Malcolm, like, if you don't show, show up to OTAs, we're well, going to bring in Jonathan Ciprian. Like, there's no, like, that's not going to, Ma- Malcolm's going to laugh at that. Malcolm's going to be like, okay, good yeah. luck. I am the skeleton key of this defense, and you guys were much better off when I'm there. Yeah. What it, I think it's more about is the fact that by cutting Anderson Dejo as we've discussed discussed ad nauseum, the Eagles can uh, potentially recover a comp pick if he's not on the team playing 10 accrued games or whatever the exact number is. If Jenkins isn't going to be at camp, then why not get another veteran safety in? See if Ciprian is at least replacement level of Andrew Sandejo. See if they're they're at least like equal, you know, they're at least like you know, it's not a huge drop off as far as your safety three goes, because you have the extra reps, because Jenkins is not there. So that's how I, th- I would say it's correlated. Like, all right, if Jenkins is not going to be here, we might as well get a look at another veteran guy, because if Cip gives us the same thing Sandejo does, well, only one takes away a, a pick for us. So we're going to keep the other right. guy. In that way, I think it's correlated. But besides that, I think it's really just about the extra reps are there. So might as well bring him in and, and at least know you have another veteran safety guy. Like McCloud could go down with injury, Cyprian still on the on the street. Well, bring him in. You know what I mean? Like you've you already worked him out. You've already given him. You, you've kicked the tires. So you kind of know what is there. And so I do not think this is preparing for Malcolm Jenkins absence at all
0: and I don't think he would make a big splash on this defense I mean for his career the guy has two interceptions he would play the same role as we would yeah. ask Sandejo to play so it makes sense in yeah. that way do you
1: think he's better than Sandejo or no
0: no I've never thought that
1: yeah me too <laughs>
0: yeah, me too. so we're really excited about the possibilities of sign, signing <laughs> Justin Cyprian. I'll add in an update if the Eagles do in fact sign him before this show is released but as of right now he is just visiting the Eagles We'll see where that goes. Okay, Ben, let's get to the eye on the enemy series. New York Giants, first team up, let's talk about them. So let's let's look at the, the overview of the front office here. General Manager Dave Gettleman, Head Coach Pat Shermer, Shermer, the former Eagles offensive coordinator and interim head coach, had a failed stint with the Browns, accumulating a 9-23 record there. One of the worst winning percentages in the league. That's exciting. Batting three oh six lifetime, only to be outdone by the terribleness of Gus Bradley, Steve Spagnuolo, and Hugh Jackson in terms of recent head coaches. Look, uh, he recently had this to say, and I'm going to play this clip. This is Pat Shermer talking about Daniel Jones and Eli Manning go calm in their approach um but they're very fiery under under the covers and i think that's the you know i don't think you want to um ben what do you think about being fiery under the covers what does that mean
1: I just think I like here's my thing if you want to use overtly sexual analogies for the grown men that play football for you live your dreams you know do whatever you want to do I am not gonna ever sit here and I have no I have no leg to stand on in terms of criticizing other people for using colorful metaphors and analogies because let's be honest that dog don't run like I I use idioms all the time you can't look like Pat Shermer looks like and I've got respect for Pat Shermer. I like like i'm I'm okay with him. obviously, his Eagles ten years is something we can talk about, but i I like Pat Shermer as a person. You just can't look like a guy like Pat Shermer looks like and be talking about sex in front of everybody. Can't do it because it's just not good. And then when the subjects look like Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, <laughs> there's just all there's too much beige hmm. in that situation for me so let's just find a different metaphor you know like you can say like you know and they've got a fire within you know they really um they can like unlock the beast No, even that's a little much i wouldn't want pressure for saying that like it's just you gotta be more self-aware here tiger especially because of how much giants media availability is scrutinized because of who your gm is like we are all just thirsting for another reason to make fun of y'all so you got to go real straight and narrow with the pr (laughs) strategy this was not the correct approach that
0: was not it chief yeah so uh, the the best part about that was, like, the awkward pause after he said it, trying to, like, did I just say that out loud?
1: I think, in my head, Odell Beckham Jr. is chilling in Cleveland with, like, you know, Jarvis Lantry and, like, Baker Mayfield and Miles Garrett, and watched that, and, like, Freddie Kitchens, probably, honestly, and watched that and was just like, yo, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah.
0: Deuces, yeah, and there's the whole media thing with uh, Odell Beckham Jr., Tony Grossi, and Joe Thomas got involved about him missing OTAs. I thought that was interesting. I
1: just so I just caught up on that yeah. this morning, and let me say, I now it's officially on my bucket list to suplex a guy with a highlighter. <laughs> Joe, not only did he he like a, 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 a dissertation on the Tony Grossi versus Odell Beckham Jr. If you haven't seen this, Joe Thomas, ex Cleveland offensive tackle, basically. Uh, Tony Grossi, a Cleveland Beat reporter, was writing about Odell missing OTAs. And Joe Thomas, who's now in the media, was used to be play with the Browns, basically just like, wrote a response like a term paper. Amazing, right? So it got like a header, a title, underlined everything. And then he wrote this response. But then he went through and like highlighted key phrases, basically telling Grossi, like, I just killed you. And I know you're not even going to read it. So I'm just going to show you the highlights <laughs> because you can't even handle the breadth of what I just gave yeah. you, which is an amazing secondary own to the primary own. I now officially, I want to clap back at somebody and also highlight the highlights of my clap back as i officially on the bucket list.
0: It was absolutely amazing. And look, I, I've described the Cleveland beat before. as just delightfully preposterous. So it's fun to see this go down, but it, it does offer some thoughts that we'll talk about throughout this process about why players might miss OTAs. And, and Joe Thomas had some really good perspective on that. Especially when, you know, me and BLG talked about Alshon Jeffrey missing, why would he, so on and so forth. And look, as long as he's out there doing what's best for him and making sure that he's got the best possible chance to play all 16, then that's his choice. He's not on the couch, like Joe Thomas said, eating bonbons. Anyway, we're supposed to be talking about the New York Giants. Look, I recently asked Mark Schofield how he would describe Shermer, And he said, quote, he thinks he's Gene Hackman from the replacements, but he is really red boy from the hip Water Boy, I know I pronounced that terribly. Uh, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement.
1: Yeah, if I knew what that meant, I'd comment on oh, it.
0: You, have you seen the Water Boy? The head coach from the Water Boy?
1: No, I not no. Like I have no distinct memory of him. Like,
0: you don't remember that movie? Did you ever see it?
1: I I've seen clips. You're of that. so I've never young. Seen the whole thing.
0: You're so young. Our age difference is really just showing out here. Anyway, we
1: discovered that yeah. <laughs> yesterday when we were talking about. But anyway, continue. Yeah,
0: moving on to a more positive track record. General Manager Dave Gettleman, on the other hand has presided over four playoff teams in the past six years with a record of 56-39-1 for the teams he presided over, three and four in the playoffs, including a 15-1 season back in 2015 where the Panthers advanced to the Super Bowl only to lose to the Broncos, and then they went 6-10 and 10 the next year, missing out on the playoffs. You look at his draft history with the Panthers, and it's a mixed bag. Maybe you could say a strength of his is identifying contributors later in the process, which, let's be fair, isn't the easiest thing to do. The problem that has plagued him recently in New York, and we can start talking about why even his staunchest supporters, and I know a couple personally that have worked around the league, they have begun to question his logic lately. But the lack of a a coherent plan and the constant switching gears from win now to the rebuild mentality and really the whole process – has been a mess, especially with the trade of Odell Beckham Jr. We talked about it on the Kiss and Soul Act show reaction. So to them trading Odell Beckham Jr. And again, I think it comes down to just overall, before we get into like offense and defense specifically, just what's the plan? What has the plan been? There's been like no unifying thread throughout his his tenure there. Am I right, Ben?
1: Feels like a football player. Should probably draft him. <laughs> and this is, uh, so coherency of the plan is something that's fascinating to me. Because, in in preparation for this, I looked through all of Saquon Barkley's explosive runs, which took a fair bit of time. A lot of them. I forgot how good that young man was. He can play.
0: Quick note on that, he led the league in both attempts that went for zero or negative yards, but also the most total yardage on explosive runs of ten plus yards. Crazy boom bust. Yeah,
1: see, and I, I, I counted runs of twenty plus yards and I got seventeen, which, Mike, there are sixteen games in the season. No. <laughs> He had a run of 20-plus yards in basically every single yeah. game, which is – yeah. But you go through and you look at these plays. By the end of the season, there was a little bit of diversity in the concepts, a little bit of diversity in the alignments. But in the beginning of the season, it's inside zone from under center, inside zone from the gun, duo from under center, inside zone from under center, duo from under center, inside zone from under center, duo from the gun, single back power from the gun, inside zone from center, inside zone from under center, duo under center. The concepts that they can successfully block for Barkley to, to create explosive plays come from under center. And with duo, you have to have at least two tight ends in line. With inside zone, they're regularly running it with two tight ends in line. For this team, success rate-wise on runs, out of 11 personnel, they're only at 38%. Out of 12, it's 43%. Out of 21, it was 53% out of 21. That's a fullback, 53% for the entire season. But here's, here's why this is an issue. Pat Shermer's passing offense is based off three wide, four wide. Yeah. It's based off Rob routes in the quick game. Their running game has no coherence with their passing game at yeah. all. The runs on which Barkley, it was successful. And like I said, this was more the beginning of the season. You got some more like split zone, like some draw stuff. You got like power tosses, which like even power toss like isn't predicated on the spread. Power toss, you really want to have your, you want to be in nasty alignments. Potentially, you know, have crackback blocks involved. Pa- Pat Shermer is a is a spread them and shred them offensive coordinator. He was here under Chip Kelly. You know, it was, uh, it was Minnesota Vikings. He was with Jeff Fisher, you know, uh, like the, the late 2000s. And it was all, it's four wide. It can, you can run it under gun and do quick drops if you want to, but really the the, the trend in the league and the trend in the Giants' passing offense is being under uh, being under the gun. So you don't have to take that drop, and then it's rub routes, it's pick routes, it's shallow crosses. Yes. That does not work with duo and inside zone out of twelve personnel, twenty one personnel, yeah. complete lack of coherency. And so this team was like thirty eight percent of their run plays came out of 11. 69 percent of their pass plays came out of eleven. Right, only fifteen percent of their run plays came out of twenty one. Uh, and then like you know they have six percent of their pass plays coming out of, uh, out of, out of 21 35 percent of the runs out of 12 only 60 percent of their passes like personnel wise I can tell you with 66 percent certainty like two out of three times what the play call is which is it great what is what's the offense yeah, they don't know there's two separate offenses we're running here <laughs> and so it's a huge huge issue that they have to figure out is either we're gonna lighten the box and we're gonna run Like, single back power ideas, that worked just fine. We're going to run, like, maybe split zone ideas with Barkley, right? Which, the the crazy thing, like, here's the big secret. It's what he ran at Penn State. Why did you take him away from it? (laughs) Right? We're going to either do that, or we're going to start developing a heavier play action game with two to three route concepts instead of running these quick hitting four or five route concepts. Because right now, the offense is divorced from itself. It's got two faces.
0: And and I want to talk about play action, but let's talk about the playmakers and what they have to do to replace the loss of Odell Beckham Jr. And we'll get into some more scheme stuff, obviously. But as I mentioned before, like we're very excited to see a playmaker like OBJ that gave the Eagles fits just shipped out of the conference. And you have to be a little concerned if you're a Giants fan, that Eli Manning in the passing offense just goes in the tank without Odell. And that's easily been demonstrated over the years in which, you know, you have the in and out splits with Odell. And so in 2017, Odell missed significant time. Without him, Eli's completion percentage dropped from 69.5% to 57.9%, lopped off a full yard plus of yards per attempt, Dip down to 5.7 yards per attempt. That's ugly. That's so ugly. So Eli has been ordinary to below average with Odell and then repugnant, straight out repugnant without him.
1: I don't know, man. I, I want to be nicer to this team than I'm going to be right into this podcast. Yeah, That's all. Absolutely.
0: But yeah, here. okay. So here's what they can do to kind of alleviate that loss of Odell. And this comes around to utilizing Saquon Barkley and using his strengths. And look – In no way, shape, or form am I claiming this is like a one for a one. It's not. But Odell did a lot of things. Well, one of those was like take the short stuff to the house. Pad that stat book for Eli Manning, right? You get him on a slant. He wins at the line. He separates. He takes it to the house. They need to find a way to get Saquon Barkley more involved in the passing game beyond checkdowns. 7.9 yards per catch. 8.6 yards after the catch. Think about that. That's an average depth of .7 yards behind. The line of scrimmage. (laughs) And if you listen to the previews of the Eagles games, you know that I charted this and even wrote it up for BGN in an article entitled, The Giants Should Get Creative with Saquon Barkley against the Eagles. And here's why. To the point, Saquon had 97% of his routes with receptions came from a running back alignment. 74% of those receptions came on checkdowns. 81% of those were curl flat swing. Zero slot snaps in the past. Zero slot snaps in the passing game. You've got a backs like yet. Alvin Kamara. You've got backs like Tariq Cohen, Todd Gurley, Duke Johnson, all taking over 15% of their passing plays, and you can't get a single slot snap for Barkley, who would thrive in that role. That's got to change. Otherwise, I'm not fearful at all of the passing attack because the best weapon on the field at any given time is sitting in jail behind the line of scrimmage, and you can just rally up. It's a miscarriage of justice. It's a misuse of... Of Saquon Barkley, Ben,
1: just direct snap it to Saquon. Just <laughs> right. cut you out of the process. To be honest, at this point, yeah, exactly, I can't explain this team to you. I just can't.
0: You draft Saquon Barkley, you don't use him as a wide receiver, like at all. How is that possible? How was it? That's the whole, that was the whole appeal about drafting not how that's Barkley. Possible? I'll tell you
1: exactly how that's possible. Go on. Rhett Ellison outsnapped Evan Ingram at tight end yeah. for this team. That's overall, and so I was like, oh, I should probably check like the games in which Ingram was healthy. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no. <laughs> in the games in which Ingram was healthy, Rhett Ellison and Evan Ingram had basically the same amount of uh, snap count, the same split. Right. If your offensive style makes Rhett Ellison equally or potentially more valuable than Evan Ingram, your offense is wrong. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is the end? Yeah. end of the conversation, <laughs> period. Rhett Ellison is a tackle. Evan Ingram is a wide receiver. Just like, you know, for being ridiculously simplistic. Yeah. You have to be, you, like, there There has to be more involvement for a player like Evan Ingram. There has to be more creative involvement for a player like, like Saquon Barkley. For the team, and, like, this is the thing,
0: like... They've taken two, like, really, like, flashy move pieces. We thought Evan Ingram was a big slot coming out. And they've fit him in these the square pegs. It makes no sense to me. They're, like, they're handcuffing him.
1: Right, and this is the thing. Like, you have Odell Beckham Jr. And you have him on your team. And you, you know, you talked about the splits in and out and how how Manning's... Depth of target ridiculously drops without Beckham on the field. And you talk about how Beckham turns short targets into explosive plays with his yak ability. Well, okay. You go out and you get Golden Tate. One of the best yak receivers in the league. That's great. That's Uh fantastic. You have Sterling Shepard. You lost Odell Beckham Jr. You traded him away. And you didn't pick a wide receiver to the fifth round. And you picked Darius Slayton, who Eli Manning will literally never be able to hit in stride (laughs) for the rest of his career. It won't happen. If there's ever a throw where Eli Manning overthrows Darius Slayton in an NFL game, I will eat my shit. Honestly, I'll
0: say the same thing about Daniel Jones because he doesn't have the arm strength either. That puppy unravels in the air, but that's a whole nother yarn that we can unravel.
1: And so, like, I, I, like so, now we have Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, who are only going to be effective within like ten yards from the line of scrimmage. Right. We have Evan Ingram, who even if you're going to put him out on the field, that's also where he's the strongest. Darius Slayton is your hypothetical field stretcher, but he's a fifth round pick who Eli Manning's not going to be able to hit. You have no contested catch receivers on this roster at all: Tate, Shepard, Benny Fowler, Corey Coleman, Cody Latimer, Russell Shepard. There's no contested catch <laughs> receiver. None. There is no traditional X. Yeah. You lost Odell Beckham Jr. I do not care. What he has said to you about your mother, <laughs> how he acts in practice, I do not give a hoot. Make it work. You can't lose him and not get a guy who can win in the
0: air. I agree.
1: Just what? I don't get yeah. it. There's only there's one thing I get about this offense. There's one thing I understand. is the offensive line. Oh, yeah. And it's let's just get the biggest freaking people we can. And honestly... And that's never a bad strategy, so I don't hate it.
0: So let's talk about that. Through the first nine weeks of the season, the Giants ranked 29th in pass blocking efficiency. Eli Manning was pressured on 36% of his dropbacks. From week 10 and on, they ranked 11th in the league in pass blocking efficiency per pro football focus, dropping Eli's pressure rate down to 31%. My theory, and I had this at the time when it was happening, my theory is that the Giants used more play action in the second half of the season, going from near bottom of the league at 18% to near top of the league at 30 percent they also saw more downfield success with play action so if we're projecting them moving forward i expect to see it would make sense a lot of play action from this team and, and better results overall from the offensive line and looking at their starting lineup i think it looks much better and the difference for them here could be or rather needs to be will hernandez entering his second year and the addition of Kevin Zeitler in a trade with the Browns. Because as much as we might think of Saquon Barkley and the strength of this team being the ground game, they were tied for 28th in rushing success per sharp football. This was a boom or bust rushing team. And I mentioned it before, but here are the raw stats. Saquon Barkley led the league in rushes with zero negative yards, with 61 plays for negative 99 yards, and conversely had 831 yards on runs of just 10-plus, which led the league. And I was curious while I was looking this up, Ben, He often gets the Barry Sanders comparison. Well, in his rookie year, Barry Sanders, right? Second in the league only to Terrell Davis. Sanders had 890 yards on runs of 10 plus.
1: How do you find it?
0: (laughs) I I do a lot of searching during the day. Also led the league in plays of zero or negative yards with a whopping 87 attempts of negative 160 yards. He had a negative run on 34.6% of his runs. So over a third of his runs were for negative yards, but then he also had that explosive capability. Same thing for LaShawn McCoy. He shows up pretty much every year where he plays 13 or more games. He shows up on the top end of zero to negative yards and then shows up mm-hmm. on the top end of explosive runs. So that's kind of the what you're getting there with Barkley. But I think as far as trying to get some stability there and trying to eliminate the bust part of it, I don't know if you're ever going to get that completely out of Barkley, but I think the development of Hernandez – And the addition of Zeitler could be the difference. And I think this should be a heavy play action team moving forward. What about you, Ben?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in the sense that heavy play action is what makes sense for this team, because I think heavy play action is what makes sense for every team. So there's the we have that there, especially for a team where there's a clear investment in Barkley and like... Like you you your average NFL team, the defense is gonna care less about who's in the backfield. Whereas when you face the Giants, you're like, all right, twenty six, like, we have to be a little bit different. Like, it changes the way you play pursuit defense. It absolutely does, because Barkley's willing to flip field on literally any concept. And that was something I was reminded of watching these explosive plays. Barkley's no business running the way he runs. Yeah. How dare he? Like the goal. but he works. Yeah, you know, like obviously, and like you, you brought up the the negative runs. I'm very willing to make that trade off. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm I'm perfectly comfortable saying, listen, if you want to lose me five yards for every time you gain me fifty, you live your dreams, darling. You do whatever you need to do, <laughs> as long as I get that fifty-plus run at least once a game. I was really impressed. Yeah, year one with Hernandez, I thought was was good, not great, but uh, that's okay. I like it, it was what you drafted in the second round. There's no reason to be upset about that. I really liked what they were getting out of their, their backup center, uh, Spencer Pulley, in the middle of the year. Now, he's since uh, been replaced. They, I think they lost him in free agency.
0: Yeah, and they, re, they re-signed the center as well. I think it was Halapio. Know,
1: I know John Greco is gone. Right. I know Jamon Brown is gone. So they lost a lot of their other interior guys.
0: Is it Halapio or whatever?
1: Yeah, you get Kevin Zeiler in off of the, 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 the trade for Olivier Vernon, uh, where you ship him out. You bring in Mike Remmers in free agency. Yeah, they have John Halapio is now the new starting center. Spo- uh, is still listed the backup, at least on the depth chart I'm looking at. I liked what I saw from him. I wouldn't be surprised if he pushes for starting. But
0: <laughs> I see the article on him his resigning. Big Blue, Big Blue View did a film study on him, and the title is John Halapio Film Study. Not a great player, but a center the Giants can win with. <laughs> what a ringing endorsement. Like, he ain't bad.
1: Big ups, Big Blue View. <laughs> but either way, with Solder, with Hernandez, and with Zeitler, you've got a really, really good core Mike Remmers is a person who's played in the league for a while. <laughs> uh, I and mean, bad. Cent- yeah. Center-wise, you can usually – like center, you can get away with not having ideal talent. Yeah. So I think they have the offensive line to be, number one, successful in the running game. Number two, to use deeper drops and use longer-developing passing concepts, which I don't trust Shermer and Shula to do. Mm. Um, but I think they have the line for it and they have the line to execute play action. And then obviously, when they're out there putting Red Ellison and Scott Simonson as, as the two tight end sets, they've got a ton of pass blocking ability. Yeah. They can move people. The thing is, you, and I'm, I, you know, beating the dead horse here, but you just, you, you had a player who could win one on one matchups down the field on the outside and now you don't. And so, really, I don't care how long you can pass block. Like, if you put Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard up against, you know, like Avante Maddox and Ronald Darby, it's a pretty, even fight
0: you don't have to bracket coverage you don't have to
1: let's never forget last year the eagles were putting cone coverage over odell right right you don't have to do that anymore i was
0: gonna say yeah that makes a big impact on things Uh, as far as resource allocation you don't have to put that cone coverage everywhere on on odell there are very few wide receivers in this league that and we talk about it all the time it's fun to say like Alishon gets doubled all the time. He doesn't. He gets an occasional cone bracket, whatever. Odell gets doubled a lot. Why the heck not? Right, exactly. Not going to make him pay any other way. You have to. So now that that's gone, okay, have fun. Maybe the collective can be solid, but you're not worried about that superstar player splashing the pot on you downfield. So uh, this offense, not scary, I think is what we're trying to say. The, the only element is the one big Saquon Barkley run. You're pretty much guaranteed per game. And then you're also going to have some yeah. very inefficient drives in between. We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like moving forward. I, I think we've made it pretty clear we weren't Daniel Jones fans. We are not Eli Manning fans. Tons of excuses have been made for him throughout How the How dare you put years. these words in my mouth. That's our thoughts on the offense. When we come back on the Kiston Solak Show episode 97, I own the enemy series on the New York Giants. We're going to be talking about the defensive side of the ball, and then we'll give our projections as far as what we feel about this Giants team as a whole. That's coming up next here on Bleeding Green Nation. And we are back on the Kiss and Solak Show, episode 97, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Michael Kissed here with Benjamin Solak talking eye on the enemy. The New York Giants. Let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. We already dealt with the offense. Yes. I'll get right to the big question with this defense. And I know you're chopping at the bit for this, but give me a second. 30 sacks in 2018. Only one team was worse. That was the Oakland Raiders. Only so had 13, which is another novel for another day with the whole Khalil Mack trade.
1: 13.
0: Sacks aren't everything, but that factor certainly impacted their expected points gained from the defense and the net yards per pass attempt, which factors in from lost yards from sacks. Where's the pass rush Going to come from. I remember that we both, Ben, laughed at the idea of paying Kareem Martin even a three year, $15 million deal while letting JPP go, who quietly, by the way, JPP had 12 and a half sacks last year.
1: I tried to tell him, Mike. I tried to tell him.
0: <laughs> I've tried. And while the Martin deal certainly isn't some sort of blockbuster, he had one and a half sacks last year. And here's the problem that's tied for his career best. So with the departure. <laughs> of Olivier Vernon via trade for the second straight year. The Giants have let their top pass rusher walk. And what are they left with? Is second-year player Lorenzo Carter the guy? Or is he just going to continue to be as inconsistent as he was throughout his rookie campaign and in college as well when he started to lose snaps before he came out? Like, this feels like the exact same questions we had last year. And look, forget what the Giants brass says to the media. This is a rebuild now, especially after the OBJ trade, signing of a quarterback or drafting of a quarterback. And there's going to be a ton of turnover with this team over the next few years. So I get that. So whether or not it works probably depends on Daniel Jones and all that. But you're bringing back a pass rush who's leading sack guy, B.J. Hill plays on the interior, had 5.5 sacks last year. Nobody had 30 pressures last year from what's left. Dexter Lawrence isn't that type. Mm-hmm. Third-round selection, O'Shane uh, Zimenez from Old Dominion is a guy that me and John only like, but he isn't ready to make an impact like that his first year. in hell, and even against lower levels of competition, Zimenez topped out double-digit sacks once. In college, topped out at 11.5. There's only so much that defensive coordinator James Betcher can do. And I really like Betcher. And I thought, all things considered, he did a marvelous job with this ragtag unit. But as I saw an NFC executive say about this team during the season, they just don't have the personnel. So, fun study. Betcher is. But come on, who's getting after it, Ben?
1: You don't think Zimmon is a 30 pressure player in year one? I think, the amount of snaps he's going to take? No, I
0: think he'd be a 30-pressure guy. But as far as, like, making a big impact, I don't think it's year one right. for him. I think he's got some development to go and never had that, like, type of bombastic sack production you would expect from a lower-level right. uh, type guy.
1: Yeah, see, my thing here is...
0: It depends on playing time, too. But, I mean, who's he beating out? Who cares?
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I look at I look at this defense and I say to myself, "Oh, Shane might lead him in sacks.
0: Yeah, uh, honestly. <laughs> you know, that's
1: right. And, right, now the thing is, it's difficult... To predict who's gonna lead in sacks in the James Betcher defense because Betcher sends the the kitchen sink. He sends the 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 baby, the bathwater, the house, everything you want. Now here's Boettcher's, the thing. Uh,
0: here's the thing. Normally he does top five over three years in Arizona in blitz rate. The league average was thirty percent. Betcher was at thirty eight to forty percent. Two thousand eighteen. dropped all the way down to 26%. 22nd in the league. Why? Because I don't think he trusted the secondary, but we'll find out. But he's got to turn that faucet back on, baby. He's got to get after it.
1: Okay. I'm very upset with you. (laughs) I have... (laughs) The 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 cardinal stats. I couldn't find the giant stat. Where'd you find it?
0: I had to do a lot of googling, man. I had to do a lot of googling. I'm so for
1: that. pissed right now because this <laughs> was my point. I was going to be like, and the Giants. He also did this, right? Because I couldn't find the the, the number. I only can find his Cardinals number. It
0: was in some niche local article that cited the P- the PFF staff <sighs> for it. So yeah, 22nd, well, man. He didn't right. blitz as much. I don't think he trusted the secondary. We could talk about the rework secondary, but he's going to have to come with that blitz now. I mean, I don't I don't think there's a question. He can't get after the quarterback before. How are they going to get up to the quarterback right. before?
1: Betcher, so, Betcher was uh, outside linebackers coach for Todd Bowles in Arizona. And then Todd Bowles goes to become the head coach for the Jets. He moves into the defensive coordinator position in Arizona. And he keeps the Todd Bowles structure. So, what do we talk about? A Todd Bowles style of defense. You know, we've seen Betcher now in, the, in New York, the Giants, for a year. We've seen Bowles with the Jets for three years. So, if you remember those games, what you'll see is down linemen on first down it's four on second down it's three on third down it's one and then on the next first down it's seven and then on the next second down it's two <laughs> right just like guys with like their hands in the dirt at like techniques it's all over the place and Betcher has no interest in balance right it's not like all right, a one tech a three tech a five tech and a seven tech it's like listen we're putting four guys on one side of the ball <laughs> right it's just like there's there's you never really know what the front's gonna look like and that makes it tricky to run against for a lot of offensive lines, the Eagles tend to run well against that, that, that style yeah. because they're really a smart offensive line that communicates really, really well. And I think if you go and you look back at a game like the Indianapolis Colts game, you saw the Eagles had some good success on the ground in that game. They had some good success against the Giants as well. These are good examples of the Eagles dealing with lines that twist. They start, they put different players in different places. Uh, but the Eagles are able to kind of deal with that chaos. So, Betcher, a ton of, of confusion up in the front. The reason Betcher is doing that is because... He wants to zone blitz. He wants to be able to, to play in sub packages, put five defensive backs, six defensive backs on the field, and then manufacture pressure in unorthodox ways so as to protect those guys who are back there. And so you might look at it, you might say, all right, Betcher's defense is built around the defensive line, like the way Jim Schwartz is. And I I would really argue it's not. I would argue it's built on the secondary and what he wants to do in terms of match zones back there. And so I agree with you. If there's a a, a reason for the lack of blitzing, what changed, then then I would say it was Betcher back when, uh, you know, the Giants were, you know, the Giants roster last season, Well, in the defensive backfield, he had you know, Curtis Riley starting next to Eli Apple for a good portion of, of, of you know, the the uh, in the secondary. And then Eli Apple yeah. moves to New Orleans. You know, he moves on from Landon Collins. They move on from B.W. Webb. Darian Thompson's been a bust for a while. Like, they had Janoris Jenkins, and that was it. And then you look at the way they approach the drafts. Well, okay, firstly, we trade for Jabril Peppers. I'm psyched, as a Jabril Peppers fan, when he came out, yeah. to see Peppers in this defense. Oh, yeah. Because Peppers is going to play the Dion Buchanan role. That Buchanan was successful in, in Arizona when people were like, Deion Buchanan is the future of the NFL. Mm. Then he wasn't. But <laughs> he's going to play that role. I think he's going to be really successful there. Then you have draft DeAndre Baker. Right. Draft Corey Valentin. Draft Julian Love, I think was the other quarter yeah, they got. Julian
0: Love, who had like the most plays on the ball in the last two years, according to Pro Football yep, Focus. Yep, so yep. And, then Jul-
1: uh, and then Sam Beal, they right. got in the supplemental draft last year. So they have basically four new bodies. Yeah. Coming into the cornerback room. And I'm going to tell you right now, like, you're going to see more than just two of them. You know, you're going to, a lot of these guys are going to find different ways to get on the field. And then with Peppers and with Darian Thompson, that's going to be your, your your defensive backfield. I think they also added another safety, Antoine Bethay. Antoine Bethay is now on the team. So.
0: Yeah, I think he's watched, right. but that's interesting.
1: This, this. He's
0: smart, though. He gets it.
1: These additions used to highlight the fact that Betcher's defense, in my opinion, is built from the secondary and, that it, it, and then. That's the focus, and that's what informs what his defensive front does, and that's backwards from how it works for Philadelphia. So it's important to uh, to emphasize that for our listeners because that's that's a different way of approaching it. Now,
0: does it all work together? Because it's it's four out of five new pieces. If you're running nickel, are all brand new in that secondary? It could be great, but there are a lot of young guys, and they could go through some struggles like the Cowboys did when they had. But in that second year you really start to see it turn around. Are we a year away or is it this year?
1: Right, because schematically, what we're dealing with now when we're running match coverage on the back end is that, and I'm I'm curious to see if you've beat me on this stat as well, but there's a ton of confluence in the concepts. There's a a lot of blending of the coverages. And so when he was with Arizona, not last year of the Giants, I don't know, cover one 34% of the time, cover three 31% of the time, and cover four 17% of the time per pro football focus. So... A lot of middle of the field closed, but also a healthy man middle of the field open. When we say cover four, what we're pretty much looking at his match quarters there. Yeah. So there's a lot of variety in terms of he, he's going to want to get bodies on guys quickly, but he's going to run match concepts. It's not going to be pure man. He's going to protect his corners accordingly. And then it's all the scrape exchanges. Betcher's run defense, one of the very few run defense left that will spill instead of squeezing. So they will turn runs to the outside yeah. and then ask their corners to come up and tackle, ask their linebackers to be fast to flow. Instead of squeezing the inside, which honestly, like Alec Ogletree, might really benefit from that in year two. Oh yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I agree. So the the big question, right? You said like, all right, young secondary. How much is that going to be able to be cohesive? How is that going to be coherent? How are they going to integrate all the new pieces? That's absolutely the biggest question. I do believe though. Like, I'm excited to see B.J. Hill. I'm excited to see Marcus Golden, and, and I'm excited to see uh, uh, Olson Pierre. Three guys who B.J. Hill was early successful. In in, one, in year one, being that weird defensive end, defensive tackle, hybrid rushing from the four technique. And then Olsen Pierre and Marcus Golden are two guys who had their only good years when they were playing for James Betcher in Arizona. And now they're back here along with Kareem Martin in New York with Betcher. So betcher has got a lot of pieces that he knows how to be successful with them and they're comfortable with him from Arizona are now in New York. So I think you could see a step forward in the pass rush for that reason. I believe this defense is going to be pretty good. I believe this defense is going to be better than it was, probably better than we've seen in the last few years for the Giants. Let's not forget, the Giants were 15th in weighted DVOA at the end of the season. They got better at the end of the year. Yep. And I think a big reason for that was because the defense was playing better football. They had their only two games where they kept the opponent under 20 points, were Week 14 and 13 of last year. Hmm. And so I, I I think that this defense will keep them in games against bad teams which is more than you could have said for them last year.
0: And I'm just looking at their schedule right now. And I I agree with you. I think this is a defense that got better. I think Betcher's is a doggone good football coach. If he can trust that secondary more, start to do what he wants to do with his blitzing and manufacture pressure that way, then the pass rush isn't as concerning. I'm still really, really worried about it. But I do think overall if the secondary right. starts to gel especially as the season moves along i think that's very important they may see some struggles early on in the season getting used to each other and communication but in the second half of the season i think they can turn it on a little bit even if the personnel isn't right. fully there yet yeah
1: because when we talk about dominant pass rushes right and like how is the pass rush going to stack up against the league well pass rush is the juice de jour whatever the, the heck the french <laughs> thing is like it's what really matters now for defensive coordinators that's been the most recent growth right now When you look forward and you say, you know, how is defense is going to change and results to the spread, a lot of those ideas look a lot more like what Betcher's doing versus what like a guy like Jim Schwartz is doing, right? right? So, like, Betcher, in terms of, like, what he does in the secondary, is more like, you would say, like, cutting edge, like, experimental. So, as a result, like, with the amount of money and draft capital and investment there is in defensive lines across the league right Like look at how much money the eagles have in their defensive line how much money the the rams had in their defensive line last year right unless you are willing to pour all those draft picks all that draft capital you just put into like corners and dexter lawrence and put it into edge rushers yeah you're never going to hold a candle to those guys and so instead of asking players who are objectively worse to win in one-on-one situations the way jim schwartz does in philly put them in different alignments twist them stunt them spread them blitz them, drop them. drop Do a ton of different things and stress running backs, stress tight ends, stress quarterbacks to identify blitzers, and see if you can get a free hit. You know what I mean? You're going to stress communication. Like, that's if you're not going to have a top five defensive line in terms of draft capital and money that you paid for free agents then I, I don't mind at all swinging totally in the other direction. And I think I brought up Indianapolis. They were a team who did that really well last year. Had some draft picks, Correct. had some guys who were busting in other places, but were some good athletes. Just put them on the line, run them into the weirdest gaps possible, make a center miss a call, make a running back miss a protection, get a free hit.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. And that's a great example that you use with the Colts there. Okay, Ben, I am on a betting website, no free ads, and I'm looking at the over, under for the Giants win total. Let's wrap this up and give our opinion.
1: I mean, so I walk through their schedule yeah. and I, I have my win-loss projection.
0: Oh, okay, good. Before the bye, do you think they get four wins? Did you have four wins marked down?
1: Their bye is what week? 11?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I have them with four wins before 11. So do
0: I. Okay. Total, do you have them over six? That's the betting line.
1: No, I'm under six.
0: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think there are very winnable games in the beginning of the season. I think he gets tough yep. at the end, man.
1: Yep. Yep. So they've got... At Tampa, yeah. Home versus Washington. Uh, home versus Arizona. You might even say home versus Buffalo in week two, but I'm a little bit high on Buffalo this year. Um, and so, and then you've got uh, at the Jets, which isn't really at the Jets because it's in MetLife, so like quasi home game. And that's all before week ten. Yep. And so those are you know five games you could circle that the Jet- the Giants have a good shot of winning in my opinion. But yeah, their season ends if we start with. We, yeah, week 12 <laughs> at Chicago, home versus Green Bay, at Philly, home versus Miami, at Washington, uh, and then, uh, against Philadelphia. And so those last six weeks, I mean, they, if they win one, if they win the Miami game, they should be happy. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I have this team winning five games, going 5 and 11. I have the Jets game as a game that I, I really, if the Jets take a step forward, they're better than the Giants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, it's, it's all, it all depends on Sam Darnold. You can say the same thing for, like, Miami and for Washington. They play a lot of rookie quarterbacks, second-year quarterbacks. Um, but I have this team going 5-11 and 11 and think that they should be happy with that.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm the same. I think they win four games before the Week 11 bye. And then they are lucky to win one, either Miami or Washington, depending on what's going on in Washington. I mean, I'm
1: so stoked at the quarter poll of the year. I have them being two and two, which would be great because like Dallas will be three and one, the Eagles will be three and one, and it would be like, the Giants competing for the NFC East. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. This
0: is one of the most bet on teams last year after they drafted Saquon Barkley. Confidence was so high on them in the betting community.
1: We have a yearly tradition of going through the Giants and saying, why are we doing this again and really this year we're not doing that because national media is caught up yeah like when it was 2017 they're like listen eli guys like it's gonna be good we were like this team is bad and then they were bad and then 2018 it was like all right well like you know like this year and they've got saquon odell they've got the weaponry and they'll be fine it was still bad this year really none of the national media are like hyping up the giants the way they have been the past couple of years mm. uh and that's that's now the correct it's strategy
0: it's a red shirt year in a lot of ways for the New York Giants in 2019 sorry to tell you Giants fans it's just the way we feel about I feel a lot better if this team had uh, Odell because at least they could try to maybe score with some teams
1: can I ask one question
0: yeah go for it
1: when does Daniel Jones start when's Daniel Jones first start non-injury after the bye I think it's week one of 20 uh 2020
0: okay so if they win four games and they're four and six probably not after the bye unless they have like a bad run I don't think they're going to collect wins like that early and then have a yeah. bad run you know I'll, I'll put it at week 15 at home against miami when nothing matters anymore that's where i'll put it yeah
1: see that's the thing is like to me if i'm trying to figure out when that is it's like when will eli just have like an absolutely abysmal multi-game run of just like turnovers and trash right
0: at chicago against green bay and then at philadelphia jay alexander is going right. to pick him off three times in a game he's going to come to philadelphia and yeah. fold
1: that's the thing it's like it's <laughs> difficult to predict which defenses will be good but that's what you have to circle i think eli lasts the year basically out of pride it's crazy uh let's not let's not forget what happened when they sat him a couple years ago um which was completely justified but they just did it badly and then i think you know he listen he's Eli's in a contract year, baby. (laughs) So, if they're not starting Daniel Jones next year. Oh, boy. Goodness gracious. Great balls of fire. What are we doing?
0: (laughs) So, so next time up, we're going to be talking about the Washington Redskins. That's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy, the New York Giants. Feeling great about them. We both predict them to be a 5-11 team, a redshirt year. We'll see what happens in 2020 when they finally start Daniel Jones. Maybe. Maybe it'll be 2021. But, Ben, that's going to do it for today. Would you say goodbye to the gentle gentle listeners
1: howdy friends thank you as always for listening to the kiss and act show here on bgn radio we do appreciate you swinging by if you enjoy the podcast which let's be honest we made fun of the giants a lot so you better have uh you should <laughs> go did, ahead leave me. we
0: we researched this team for you gentle listener we didn't want to do right. it well
1: like let's be honest at least for me i don't know about for you for me this was the nicest i've been to this team in the three years that we've done the Giants season preview same this was the nicest i've been to them which is wild because it's the meanest that nationally people have been to them but this is just kind of the circle of life right i think this defense can be all right (laughs) but yeah you enjoyed the podcast we made some jokes and so because you did in honor of odell beckham jr not facing the eagles twice anymore uh for the rest of his career Go ahead and leave that five star rating. Leave that review on iTunes or another app if you really feel like it. You'll be screaming into the ether, but it's fine. Tell us what you enjoyed. Don't stop making fun of John Stolness' voice, by the way. John has a great voice. I know this because I do not have a good voice for radio. And so I'm very jealous of John's voice. Leave that rating, leave that review. Hit us up on Twitter at Benjamin Solak, that's S O L A K. At Kist N F L, that's K-I-S-T. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, or other funny jokes. Like Mike said, we'll be back with Washington Redskins, what, maybe late this week?
0: Probably Friday, maybe we'll drop it on Saturday, because we got BGN Radio on Friday morning, so possibly on the weekend, sounds sounds about right.
1: You have the whole week planned? Yeah, I'm a professional. I thought you just kind of did it by feel, because you always just like roll up in a slack and you're like, hey, I'm recording this.
0: <laughs> I have it all in my head, and then I act like it's all just, you know, and then it yeah. looks like organized I thought chaos. you just woke
1: up in the morning and you just like sniff the morning air and you go like...
0: Saturday morning. feels like a
1: day for at the podium. Here we go. You know what I mean? I guess the podium, you kind of have to rely on who's at the podium. Uh, Yeah. So thanks for listening. We like you. Goodbye forever.
0: We all we got. We all we need. Fly Eagles fly.